So hello everyone who's listening. I have got some All Saints heroes um, here with me um, this evening actually recording at the back end of a very nice sunny day in Worcester. Um, guys, introduce yourselves. Tell us who you are and what you do. My name is James and I am an ordinand at All Saints, which means that I'm a vicar in training. Thanks, James. And I'll dive in next. Yeah, I'm Kath and I do my bit to help lead All Saints. And I also, um, for my day job, work for IJM International Justice Mission and work with churches all around the UK. I'm Jack um, and we've recently moved to Worcester, enjoying exploring all of the countryside. And I work for Tear Fund uh, in my day job. And I'm Caitlin, Jack's wife. Um, yeah, enjoying living in Worcester. Um, moved recently, and I'm also working at Tier Fun, working at, in fundraising and partnerships. Awesome! It's so exciting. So um, we'll start with Jack and Caitlin. So just for those people who don't know, um, what is Tier Fund like? What do you do? Um, can you explain a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So Tier Fund is a Christian international development charity. We've been around for just over 50 years and work in more than 50 different countries. And um, the main chunk of our work is supporting local churches um, in some of the poorest communities lift themselves and their communities out of poverty. Um, and so we do that through responding to disasters or helping people uh, be more prepared for disasters, doing long term development work and also doing advocacy. So kind of lobbying around uh, policies and practices that um, exacerbate injustice. Awesome. And, and Kath, what about IJM? Do you want to explain a bit about that? Yeah, many of you have heard about IJM, so International Justice Mission, um, based in the US, but also 20 field offices all around the world. Um, we work on the problem and issue of violence against the poor, um, but particularly um, work in the area of slavery, tackling slavery, and um, responding to the fact that there are over 40 million slaves worldwide today with um, one in four of those being a child. Um, so yeah, so tackling that all over the world. Awesome. And all you guys are superheroes. We have already said that, but you are. And um, it was so great to hear from, from you, Jack and Kath over this last series. We've just finished our um, uh, materialism module um, of our pattern sort of curriculum that we're doing this year at All Saints. And we've heard some amazing uh, messages from Owen and Rich gave one as well. Um, and they're really, really cool. Um, what, what, what have you guys just generally, general thoughts, why is it so important that we're sort of trying to tackle this issue of materialism and looking also into so this issue of climate and all of these other things? Why is it so important as a church we do that and like have a look at those things and try and think about how we can do stuff about it? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess this is just an issue that I'm so passionate about. Um, and yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking earlier when I became a Christian in my 20s, um, I was already really passionate about this stuff. And when I became a Christian, I was really surprised that the church wasn't really passionate about this stuff. Um, so I got converted to this stuff kind of well before I met Jesus. Um, and it feels like 
sometimes I'm still converting the church to this stuff. Um, not me, just on my own, obviously, clearly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it feels like um, it's just such a central part of the gospel. You know, this is a big part of why Jesus came. Um, and I was talking a bit about this in my talk, um, caring for the poor and the oppressed the widows, the orphans, you know, this is so central to Jesus's mission um, on the earth. And this is what he has tasked us to do. And so I guess I feel really passionate about the, about the fact that we rediscover this as a church. Um, in fact, I was talking to a church leader today um, and she was just saying that she feels like over COVID times, she's been reawakened to this, um, this central issue of justice. Um, for the church and she feels like God's been speaking to her about this and I've had that conversation with so many church leaders over this year where God is waking up church leaders but also the church to the issues of justice um, so yeah so that's um, just a bit from me I'm sure Kate and Caitlin and Jack have got loads more to say on that. I think for me um, it's just always exciting when the church does start engaging in these issues and really has a place and a part to play. Um, I think the first time I sort of realized that the church was more than just like saying, yes, I'm a Christian was when I was a teenager. We, our church and uh, youth leaders at the time were really trying to engage us in looking towards the community outside of the church and what are the issues. And we used to do these mad days, which stood for make a difference where we'd like go out into our community and um serve some food or like do a litter pick or something like that and just to look beyond ourselves and um look at the wider community and how could the church be distinct and unique in that place and bringing a a change and something positive so um yeah when we engage in in this stuff when we look at these topics even though they're overwhelming um sometimes just starting somewhere um and just talking about it is really cool yeah, I, I was so like challenged by all of those talks. And I think one of the things that really stuck out to me was um, at the back end of Kat's talk, um, there was this shopping list of different things um, that uh, sort of all these products that either have, are attached to slavery or perhaps climate and those issues. And um, what I've got in front of me now is just a, a little bit of a shopping list of some items that I picked up this week. And um, I'm going to run through them. And um, you guys just tell me a bit about why these items are an issue or like what could be the potential things behind these items. Okay. And please don't judge me for my shopping cart. Um, here we go. So, so first up, um, chocolate, big thing. Everyone needs it every week. Well, not everyone needs it every week, but it's Lent fill, <laughs> get it together. But, um, tell me about chocolate. Um, what could have been some of the issues with chocolate and how we source our chocolate? Yeah. So, um, about 70% of cocoa, um, is produced in West Africa. Um, and that's where obviously we get our chocolate from. And, um, there is, yeah, there's just unfortunately a lot of slavery um, and bonded labor still in West Africa when it comes to sort of picking cocoa. Um, and of course there's also sugar 
in um, chocolate and there's also a lot of slavery in the supply chains of sugar. Um, so those two things together um, come together and that obviously creates a bit of an ethical issue. Um, there are, um, yeah, and there are companies like Tony's Chocoloni um, who are trying to tackle this, but even they kind of can't claim that they're completely slave free um, because they're still sort of working on these issues and supply chains are incredibly complex. So it's very, very difficult often to sort of completely prove that the supply chains are entirely um, slave free. But um, yeah, so that's a bit of a nutshell of why um, that could be an issue. But there are also loads of environmental things, which I'm sure these guys could pick up on. One of the big things is that chocolate comes often wrapped in plastic um, and usually a soft form of plastic that you can't recycle very easily. Um, and that's something that doesn't have to be the case. Tony's is wrapped in foil and paper. There's lots of other chocolates that aren't wrapped in plastic, but so much of it does. Um, and then that plastic is not really recyclable or um, even plastic as a whole isn't very recyclable. Um, and so uh, that becomes a problem of like, what do you do with it when you finish with it and where does that go? And what impact does that have? And plastic is made from fossil fuels. So um, there's a whole bunch of destruction that comes with digging up fossil fuels, especially in poorer communities where uh, environmental damage is just ignored or left to fester and then communities suffer by breathing in that polluted air or their water supplies are polluted by it as well. So there's a whole bunch of issues from where we get the raw materials for the plastic and then what happens to it afterwards as well that adds to the uh, top of all of the slavery concerns and the like ethical sourcing of it as well. Wow I, I saw this thing on um a while back of a news story of this plastic like raft thing in the Atlantic which is like meant to be this huge amalgam has anyone else heard of this or is it something that's yeah. just like, wild off the wall <laughs> stuff I just think that is it's insane it's apparently like the size of France or something incredible floating around the Atlantic so that was chocolate right let's um what was the name of that chocolate that you, you recommend so Tony's Chocoloni. Um, yeah, so it's in lots of supermarkets. And um, so, yeah, you can get fair trade chocolate, but um, Tony's Chocoloni are trying to go one stage further and become slave free, which is the first kind of brands to try and do that. They did something brilliant the other week where, or not the other week, maybe a month or two ago now, all the time blurs in lockdown, uh, where they made replicas of lots a lot of the popular chocolates you'd find in any store to show that you could make chocolate more ethically. And so they tried to replicate loads of the brands that people would be familiar with um, as a kind of, I guess, an act of protest to be like, look, you can do this more ethically if you try. Wow. So next item, um, I have got a, um, a t-shirt. I've bought a t-shirt this week. What might be connected to that? Feel free to dive in. <laughs> With um, clothing, a lot of it is, um, I guess, corporations will take a big cut and not pay people fairly who have been making those items. So um, people who might be in like Bangladesh who would be working in a sweatshop or just working, even if they are paid a fair wage, they might not be working in a safe condition. Um, so they might be, yeah, risking their health to make these items. And then we, when we pay for them, we are not paying the full price of 
the item because it's being sold so cheaply. Um, and as well with clothing, just this um, continual um, seasons, like you have different seasons throughout the year when clothes, um, when shops are selling um, new ranges and um, just then people will buy into this fast fashion and um, it will just keep going and we keep producing so many clothes that we just can't also dispose of very well. So that creates a lot of waste as well. Mm. Wow, Kath, were you gonna chime in there as well? Um, yeah, I mean, just to echo what Caitlin said, um, there are, unfortunately, depending on which shops you buy um, your clothes from, um, the general rule of thumb is that the cheaper you buy your clothes, probably the more likely there is to be slave labour in the supply chains. Um, and you'll have seen the kind of um, the stories about Boohoo clothing, um, uh, which are based up in Leicester, actually, um, and just seeing the sort of the uh, slavery involved in that supply chain, even in the UK. And um, we sort of often think that these issues are overseas, but actually that showed that this issue is right under our nose, um, right in the UK and people are paid. Um, they were found to be pay being paid like £3.50 an hour um, and being kept in very cramped conditions, working through COVID times. Um, so very little kind of care for, um, yeah, just people being people um, and looking after their basic human rights. Um, and then that's unfortunately amplified in different countries. And we hear lots of stories of, yeah, not only are they paid badly, but there's also a lot of sort of abuse basically of um, workers. So, wow. yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So I, I, does IGM do anything in the UK to try and combat that? That's a really interesting question and something that I hadn't even thought of that that could happen here. Mm. And it is so easy to detach yourself, I suppose, as someone living in this Western society that it could be happening on a doorstep. Yeah, and if unfortunately it is. Um, but so IJM actually don't do operations in the UK at the moment. Um, we've just started to do some operations over in Romania. Um, and actually um, the supply communities are in Romania, but we're actually finding that the destination um, of many of those are um, yeah, coming to places like the UK. Um, so we are actually starting to work with the Met Police on um, some of those trafficking issues, but they would tend to be more around kind of um, sexual exploitation more than um, clothing um, mm. industry sort of related slavery. So um, at this stage, but there are other loads of other charities working um, to find and rescue people who are in different forms of slavery in the UK. They think there's roughly about 100,000 slaves in the UK wow. um, in different forms of slavery. Um, there was a report last year that came out that estimated, but I th they, they think that's the absolute minimum um, number in the UK. How many was that, Kath, again? 100,000 in the 100, UK. Yeah, which is only 1% of slaves around the world. Wow. So... Something like that. <laughs> something like that so the last the last object that I will do on my little shopping list and was perhaps the one that I was most surprised by and I was intrigued by and this was fish um, and seafood and I was really curious as to like what was going on there um yeah so either of you guys Jack Caitlin or Kath 
could enlighten me as to what's happening with the fish industry? Uh, I mean, the place to begin would be how much we overfish. So we're overconsuming fish stocks uh, dramatically. Um, and there's a whole bunch of reasons for that, but um, we're overconsuming so many different things. Uh, but fish stock in particular are really suffering because of that. Um, and that's becoming a big issue. And I guess you don't really think about your connection to fish stocks very much. Like it feels like a long way removed from our lives, especially in landlocked Worcester. Um, but that has such a big knock-on effect to then everything else in the kind of environmental food chains and the way that different systems work um, and could become a, a really big issue for us. Um, there's also obviously, and Kath will know a lot more of the detail about this, but a lot of exploitation uh, when it comes to, um, to fishing and especially prawns, um, like a huge issue. I guess there's ships that don't really dock um, and they can keep people on board for a really long time and exploit them out of sight um, it becomes a huge issue um, yeah mm. yeah yeah that's right I mean we um, so we work in Thailand um, as IJM and exactly as Jack said we, what we find is that um, there are a lot of migrant workers who um, are hired in Thailand, but then yes, are sent out to sea and can often be at sea for as long as kind of 18 months, um, don't see land in that time. And of course, it's incredibly easy to keep people hidden and to exploit um, people. And we've um, yeah, got stories of people being um, taken out, not paid. Um, yeah, lots of abuse going on on the boats, um, forced to work sort of 18 hour days and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, to, to get seafood basically. So lots of overfishing, as Jack was saying, of the seas and just a lot of exploitation of human beings in the process. Well, well I'll move on to James in a minute and drag him into this conversation a bit as a professional thinker at the moment, studying away as an ordinant. Um, he's got a couple of questions for us. Um, but before um, I unleash him um, and get him to ask if, ask away i just wanted to ask you guys um just like what do you think god is thinking like looking down at all of these things that we take for granted so often and we might stick in our trolley every week what do you think is just the heart of god uh, looking at that yeah i mean um, <laughs> i think that well i mean god sees everyone doesn't he and i think his heart absolutely breaks seeing the way that humans exploit humans for profit. Um, and, and I think, you know, God has um, special regard for the most vulnerable, for those who are being exploited. Um, and I, yeah, I think he, his heart breaks. Um, and, but of course, I think he also has compassion on us because often we don't know what we're doing. We don't know um, we don't understand the systems do we and until our minds um understand and our eyes are open to a lot of this stuff we are in the dark on what's actually happening and what we're complicit in um and and i guess part of my story as to how i came to work for ijm is when i went out to ghana and saw and what they were doing, saw what IJM were doing and the ways that they were rescuing um, young children who were working on the lake um, in Ghana. And my eyes were open to a lot of this stuff. I felt like I couldn't not see 
those things again. And so I feel like God also looks at us and sees that when our eyes are opened, we do have a responsibility to act on behalf of the most vulnerable. Um, so yeah, so I think there's a variety of things going on that God thinks. I think, yeah, I think his heart is definitely for the vulnerable. I think one of the big things is probably um, God's heart breaking over the kind of disconnection that's designed into our consumer culture. Um, like right at the heart of God, you see relationship and this uh, connection with uh, like one another in the Trinity, but uh, his ideal for us to be in relationship with one another, to love our neighbours and our enemies. And right at the heart of consumerism, you have this idea of disconnecting us from where things come from, who made them. We see like a chicken breast in a plastic tray on a shelf and you'd never even contemplate what that chicken might have sounded like or how it ran, ran around its like little pen. Or like if you see a t-shirt hanging there, you don't really think who sewed the label in. And we're, we're forced into this like way of living, of being disconnected to the story of our stuff and the people and the places that are involved in it. And I think that probably breaks God's heart because he's designed us to be relational. He's designed us to know one another and love one another. And I think that's been a big part of the journey for me is thinking actually if God is a relational God, how can I begin to enter into those relationships of who makes my things, of who deals with the, the rubbish when I finished with it and where, where that goes and the impact that has on people. And to just, place myself back in the story of the stuff that I'm consuming um, and disposing of and saying, God, who are the people that I'm meant to be loving through these purchases and how can I love them better than I am at the moment? Wow. I've never really thought about it that way, about the whole connection aspect of it and just how disconnected we are. Um, that's, yeah, that's kind of blown my mind quite a lot, but just that relational aspect of God. And I think that's incredible. Right. James, it's your time to shine. You must have been <laughs> pondering this all week. And oh, I have many, many questions. But just off the back of uh, Jack's last comment, thinking about chickens, actually, we got chickens in the first lockdown, so almost a year ago, for our backyard. Uh, we got six. Um, and people tell you that chickens are very easy to keep. They're actually not. There's a lot <laughs> that you have to do to keep chickens alive. But anyway, that's another story. Um, so when we got chickens and um, obviously free ranging around our, our garden, um, when we were buying chicken to eat, um, we don't tell our chickens that we eat chicken. Um, <laughs> but our, our little boy, Huddy, he said to me, Daddy, the chicken that we buy, is it fair trade? Uh, sorry, not fair trade, is it free range? Um, and I said, well, not, not really. And he said, so you're telling me that we're eating chickens that have to live in cages their whole lives. And I was like, gosh, yes, I am actually. And he said, we can't eat chicken that is not free range, that isn't free range anymore. Um, we can only buy free range chicken. And so as a family, we've made the decision that all our chicken, even though it costs more, has to be free range. Um, so what Jack mentioned there, I think all of those little things they, they really add up, don't they? Like the little choices that we begin to make um, as individuals, they, it might seem like an insurmountable uh, mountain to climb, but all the little things add up. Um, but I was faced this morning with uh, a dichotomy. So I was in the supermarket doing my weekly shop. And I think it's the same shop that uh, 
Kath also shops at as well. So I'm in good company there. Um, I'd heard about this banana principle to think, how can I buy my bananas more fair trade? So I, I put down the normal bananas, which were not wrapped in plastic. And instead I went over to the fair trade bananas to buy those to then find that they were wrapped in plastic. So I've got the option of having unfair trade bananas not wrapped in plastic or fair trade bananas wrapped in plastic. Which ones do I choose? Well, of course that depends who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> if you work for an anti-slavery organization, <laughs> you're gonna say fair trade, no, no. Um, yeah, good question, Jack, over to you. <laughs> I think it's, yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? And when we start to try and make sustainable choices with the way that we consume, we discover that it's really difficult to get it perfectly right. And we probably never will. We've already talked about how uh, Tony's chocolate, even though they try really hard, can't claim to be fully slavery free. Um, I once heard from one of the big high street clothing companies who try to be ethical saying they just don't think they can ever source clothes knowing that they're going to be slavery free um, and then we see these kind of problems when we're trying to consume in a sustainable way as well you're like oh what do I pick how do I um, buy stuff um, in a way that's like without plastic and fair trade and all these different things and I think at the bottom of all of these questions is just that we have to know we won't be able to do it perfectly um, and that maybe that's not our job um, our job is to consume in a way that brings glory to God and to use those purchases as a way of worshipping him. And so making decisions of being like, God, I'm trying to do this the best I can, but I know I'm going to get it wrong and I'm going to learn more as I go along as well. And I might consume in a certain way and then I'll learn some new stuff from someone like Kath and be like, why have I never thought about this? And then you'll start to consume in a, in a new way. And all of that is part of our journey of worshipping God with our everyday actions. Um, so I'd say don't beat yourself up about your bananas um, <laughs> but then I guess you, you've got a choice I would probably buy the fair trade ones and then I would tweet at the said supermarket and say why have you wrapped your fair trade bananas in plastic or I'd take the plastic off and I'd leave it at the till um, yeah. or I would take the plastic home and then add it to the soft plastic recycling uh, which you can drop off in lots of supermarkets in the UK um, or at a, a, a farm that someone at church owns we discovered they recycled really soft plastics like banana packets so that's probably what I would do what would you buy? Yeah I was gonna say the same so I'd probably go fair trade in that uh, situation but also it's then when you have those items like leftover bits of packaging not thinking like that's the end of its life cycle then so can I repurpose this stretchy bit of plastic for something else in the home can I put dirty shoes in it or like can I do something else that means I used it again before it's gone for recycling or gone in the bin just to have like I guess more of a connection and appreciation for that thing that you've got in your life and in your home um, but yeah, as Jack said, some large supermarkets take um, stretchy plastics. So the plastics that bananas come in, um, you can drop off to large supermarkets and they can sometimes recycle them. Yeah, that's really good. The, um, the stretchy plastic thing, that's something that we've been trying recently to really engage with and repurpose things like bread bags and tortilla wraps and all of those sorts of things um, 
And so not buying cling film because A, well, it's a waste of money. And also it's just plastic, which is just going straight to landfill. And um, what, what about you, Kath? What, what, what might you say? Yeah, I think, I mean, I totally agree with these guys. I think the only thing I would add is I feel like it's just starting somewhere, isn't it? And, and I have this um, picture in my head when I'm doing these kind of things or asking these questions of myself on a busy supermarket run when I'm sort of quickly zipping around or going to the local farm shop or whatever, um, almost having a ladder um, picture in my head of starting with what I can do, but then always aiming to kind of improve. Um, so where I might start by, um, yeah, I don't know, buying some fair trade bananas um, that have plastic on, I might then look at whether there's a different supermarket that I could go to where I can buy my fair trade bananas without plastic because there are some supermarkets that do sell fair trade bananas without plastic. Um, so I feel like starting somewhere with the aim of improving is always quite a good principle to go by. Um, and I really liked, um, so going back to the Make Slavery Normal resource that we produced in Lent this year, and um, we had a coffee expert talking about how you can make really good coffee choices. And they were saying that um, the first place to start is to just check on your coffee packet and see if there's um, a description of where the suppliers come from. So does that person who's selling the coffee even know where the coffee's coming from? That's the very first rung on the ladder. And then the next rung on the ladder is to try and buy um, fair trade coffee. Um, so look for some sort of certification. Is it fair trades? Um, is it Rainforest Alliance? Is it organic? Look for one of those certifications. And then the next rung up is to go to somewhere that's like independent, maybe a local coffee shop where you can actually kind of go and talk to them about who they are getting their coffee from, what's their supply chain look like, um, and then actually talk to them about could they think about improving their supply chain and ensuring that it's completely slave free um, and organic, etc. So I really like that idea of just improving as you go. Um, yeah. So there's a few thoughts. From I me. think that's a really good point of just starting somewhere and learning as you go. One principle that I try and hold on to is is never settling but always just doing one thing at a time so thinking okay I'm starting from where I am what's the next thing that I might be able to do to consume in a way uh, that brings about more justice or cares for creation better what's the next thing that I might be able to do on that journey and of always kind of asking myself that question and then when I'm feeling like I've got my head around that next one okay what's the next thing I can be doing on this journey um, and so always just doing one thing at a time but also never settling. There's also a um, another answer to your question about the bananas, which is potentially a bit uh, countercultural. which would be to just not buy bananas that time if there isn't an option that you feel meets the kind of ethical and sustainable uh, options that you want to take. Maybe you can buy a different fruit and you can go without bananas that time. We did a zero waste year together a couple of years ago. So we had a jar for all of our rubbish in the year. And that meant that we had to give up a lot of things that we liked because we simply couldn't buy it um, in that year. And there are things that now we still don't buy, 
because we're saying actually those things are no longer available to us. Now we're trying to consume in a different way. Um, but our culture likes to tell us we can have whatever we want, whenever we want it, as long as we can afford it. Uh, the whole idea of like Amazon getting something to you on a drone in 20 minutes or Deliveroo doing groceries now. We have this idea that we deserve whatever we want, whenever we want it. But there's also a question of maybe we just don't have something if we can't buy it um, to the standards that uh, we think are important. And I think I'm um, just picking up on that point, but also um, picking up on a point you made, James, I think the next generation are going to be much better than us at doing that. So talking about Huddy's um, noticing that the chicken wasn't sort of free range and um, our kids like always are constantly leading the way on these issues. Um, so noticing things um, in fact, two of our kids are vegetarians now because of environmental concerns. Um, and they, I just think the next generation, it's really exciting. There's so much hope, I think, looking at the fact that our kids are coming through and are really energized about these issues. Um, so yeah, I think they're doing a great job of leading us on this. I can so um, testify to that, having chatted to one of Kath's and Rich's kids after one of our services and they actually um switched me on to an app on my phone where i can plant trees once a day and i've kept it up so i want that fed back to um <laughs> the person who inspired me I, i've planted i think i'd have to check my app i think i'm about 40 trees i'm about there so um but it's great you get to see where they're being planted and all of that it's called tree app if you want to go for it i'll give them a free advert um, you can download that. But one of the things or the names that's been given to these this up and coming generation, so like Gen uh, Generation Z or Z um, um, earlier is um, the, they're called the Truth Seeker generation, which I just really love. I really love that that sort of phraseology around that, that they're just um, really trying to push past this consumerism and push past all these sort of like corporate facades that we're surrounded by and really try and dig at the truth that's sort of like underneath our society and I always think like when you're looking for truth you inevitably find Jesus because he is truth and um yeah I'm super excited for what this generation is going to be doing it's just really really cool yeah that's that's really good I love that um so the, the, the world is full of very loud voices at the moment saying this is not right. We're not going to stand for this, particularly the younger generations. So what role does the local church and the church uh, globally, more widely, what role do we specifically have to play in all of this stuff about injustice, uh, the climate emergency? What can we do as the church? Well, I think one thing we can do is to join in with the noise. Um, when it comes to these kind of issues, although it might feel in our like echo chambers that there's a lot of people talking about this, the fact that so many people still live in slavery or that emissions are still rising year on year means that there really isn't that much noise where the noise needs to be heard. And so I think one big thing for us as a church is to be vocal and to be unashamedly vocal about this stuff of not worrying like, oh, maybe this is a bit political or um, a bit uncomfortable, but of actually finding our voice and, and joining in with the calls for justice around us as well. The church is 
the world's biggest grassroots movement of people. And if we could find our collective voice and speak up together, we could be really influential. And you see that over and over again. I just uh, remembered someone um, that I met from Malawi, uh, Tawonge, an ecologist um, who lectures in a university there, who's a Christian. She gathered a whole bunch of her students together and they organized a march through the streets about plastic pollution um, and did interviews with the media and the press. And they were telling street traders about the, the issues with plastic for their health. And um, they then got the government to introduce this ban on soft plastics. And they end up going to the high court and fought about um, sustainable jobs for people in Malawi. And it, it's like an amazing story of the church finding their voice and of creating change as a result. So I think, although it might feel noisy to those of us who are engaging with justice, if people in power aren't changing stuff very quickly, the noise isn't loud enough yet. Mm. Yeah, and just on that, using your voice, I think one of the things I find really exciting at the moment, I really love and feels like such kingdom principle is that we're seeing more and more survivor voices coming to the fore. Um, so it's that kind of upside down kingdom thing. Those who have suffered the most, um, we're finding are actually the most powerful in using their voices. Um, and we saw one of um, our sort of IJM survivors, somebody who'd lived for many years in bonded slavery, bonded labor in, in South Asia. And um, she spoke at the World Economic Forum recently and used her voice to bring this issue to the fore and to raise awareness um, that this is still such a massive, massive issue. And actually just hearing those survivor voices and, and hearing the joy that they actually bring um, as they talk about the freedom that they now have is um, really quite incredible, quite humbling, quite inspiring um, and feels, yeah, to me like such kingdom principle. I think we in the West, you know, have often a lot to say and actually sometimes we do possibly need to listen more to those um, who live in the global south who've suffered um, some of the sort of issues that we're talking about, um, slavery and the results of climate change, etc. And I think we would do really well to listen to those voices um, a lot more and seek out those voices as well. Yeah, I think one of the worst thing about this is that those people who have contributed least to this mess seem to be getting like having, you know, the worst of the impact of it. I was just looking at some stats. I always do this before like recording a podcast. So I look up some statistics and people think I come up with them off the top of my head. No, I write them down. But it, it was something like 6.7 million people in 2019 were displaced as a result of climate emergency or disaster in that area and i just think that that breaks my heart that it's these people who have contributed the least and nothing really to deserve this are on the real receiving end of it i don't know if you guys can speak to that yeah totally um and and actually in covid times that's been exacerbated even more so 150 million people have been pushed further into poverty as a result of um covid times and um, those are the stats. Um, there's been like a threefold increase in some countries in slavery um, in certain areas. So COVID times have only exacerbated exactly what you're talking about, Phil. Um, I think Caitlin was gonna chip yeah, in and say something. Just going back to what what can the church do or what, what should we do with all these 
when this feels like what can we bring to this um overwhelming situation i think what the church can bring is a just faithfully continue continue to faithfully continuing to persevere um and just work on tackling the issues even though it's really difficult so that might just be um doing the like small actions that they're running in community projects when the work really isn't very glamorous and it's not Instagrammable and it's not fashionable, but it's still making a difference to someone's life um, in the community or somewhere across the world. So yeah, just having the perseverance to um, continue to learn and um, look around your community and see what's going on and where can I act and bring my voice to it. Caitlin's a really good example of someone who pursues justice um, in a way that has integrity and is often missed or overlooked because we're we are obsessed with loud voices or charismatic leaders. Um, you spent many an evening playing Scrabble in multiple languages with homeless people and building friendships in quiet ways. And I think that's a really valuable thing the church can bring is that integrity mm -hmm. and that friendship with those who are on the margins. And um, is the opposite of something I saw on social media the other day of um, Instagram influencers joining Black Lives Matter protests and unrolling their banner in their nice outfits, standing on the edge of the protest, getting their picture taken and then walking away again because they've now got their Instagram shots say that they were pursuing justice together. Um, and actually the church is doing the opposite of that uh, when we are faithfully loving our neighbors and pursuing justice in our everyday purchases and by getting to know who lives around us who is vulnerable that we can support and I think justice needs loud voices and we need to be lobbying for change some of this stuff is awful that it's allowed to continue in such a systemic way but we also need those faithful quiet people who are really doing the work of justice um, and that's a big part of what we need. Mm. Yeah it's like that um I don't know if you've heard that story where um, there's people living in a town and they see bodies starting to be washed up um, on the shore. I'm sure Jack and Kate have heard this. And um, they start to kind of rescue people out of the water. And, um, and then it takes them many years before they realise that actually they need to go to the source and work out why the bodies are coming into the water in the first place. And I think just another way of putting what Jack's saying is that we need people at the source. So we need people working out why these things are happening in the first place and how we can bring systemic change at government level, at big country level. But we also need people working in food banks, working in our local communities and pulling out the bodies um, and doing the work of um, caring for people on the ground. Um, and it's doing that kind of both hands. And, and as the church, I think we're called to do both. We're called to sort of look at that big picture macro big macro level and believe that actually we can see huge systemic changes I was talking earlier um, about was it on this podcast or was it earlier in the day I can't remember <laughs> um, I was talking to someone today about um, how we'd seen child marriage being entered in the Dominican Republic this year um, as a result of the work that IJM have been doing which is a massive systemic change that we're seeing at government level but then, yeah, also the work of the church is to do some of the work that no other organisation would want to do on the ground. And often it is the churches who are doing that kind of very unseen and glamorous work 
um, that Jack was talking about, which is so inspiring. And, and it is that Kingdom blueprint, isn't it? It's, we've got the blueprint, which is um, that, that thing of, um, you know, living um, in a kind of, in a way that brings justice and righteousness, um, it, living mercifully, living humbly, um, doing what the Beatitudes kind of paint out. Um, and that's what Jesus says that we should do, isn't it? He says that we should live in that way, not kind of in an all guns blazing way, but um, live humbly and gently, care for the poor, care for the, the weak and the vulnerable. And that's the way to live the kingdom life that he talks about. Um, so, yeah. And this, this is what I love about um, the Church of England, the Five Marks of Mission. So tell, teach, ten, transform and treasure. I had to learn that one off by heart for my um, bishop's advisory panel. But basically to tell and to teach, to, to, um, to, to, to evangelise, to tell people about Jesus and to grow disciples so that they can then go and ten, transform and treasure to care for those who are in need, to go and transform the un, uh, unjust structures of society um, and to treasure the earth because it's, it's God's good creation and he gave it to us. Um, our mandate was to steward it well, uh, which we haven't done. Um, but we have this opportunity now to go, actually, we know we haven't done this well, but we want to do our part to see the new things come. Because when we get to um, heaven, um, we've been learning recently about eschatology, so the end times. Um, it isn't just about wiping the slate clean and starting again. God is going to recreate out of that which is already here and which we already have now. And so we're called as part of his mission to do all of those things, to play our part in seeing those things happen and see people um, brought into relationship with God. And we do that by standing with them and working alongside them and seeing those unjust structures changed. Um, and that's really close to God's heart, isn't it? Definitely. Um, I'm wondering, uh, so uh, one of the conversations in our life group that we had was just around like, look, um, it, from our, a lot of people's perspective, they'll just be at home, you know, they might put their heating on every now and again and burn some gas. Or they might like run their car now and again to go to work and stuff like that. Um, but fairly, they're not, you know, burning tires in their back garden or, you know, going and producing all this plastic and stuff like that. It's a lot of um, stuff is towards like the corporations and sort of side of things, which is what you were talking about, Jack, in your talk, which is, which is so good. Um, what would you say to those people who are sort of like, oh, I, I already feel like I'm doing what I can. Um, where would you perhaps challenge people and push people a bit on that? Um, I'd say that's really exciting that people are already doing stuff. They're conscious of what they're consuming. Um, I would gently challenge them that there's always more we can do. I'm well aware I am a long way from living justly um, because I, I want to keep learning and thinking about ways that I can consume better. Um, and there's always more that we can do. And it's not out of duty that we do this stuff. I mentioned it earlier. This is like part of our worship. This is an opportunity to glorify God by the way that we spend our money and um, the food that we eat. So I say there's always more that we more that we can do and see that as an invitation uh, to greater worship rather than like a burden you have to carry. Um, but 
um, I would say as well um, to to make sure that people know that you're doing these things as well. Like, could you have a conversation with your parents or your children or your uh, friends or your colleagues about ways that you are trying to live more sustainably? Because the more that this becomes what feels normal, uh, the faster we'll see change happen. When, if you think back to Blue Planet 2 a few years ago, that uh, documentary series that David Attenborough did about the sea, there was um, lots of talk about plastic pollution in that. And it kind of created this public conversation with lots of people thinking about plastic in a way they hadn't before. And that then led to um, like outcries on social media and lots of people talking about saying, I'm trying to do my bit and reduce my plastic. And then we began to see um, restaurants and bars phasing out plastic straws and those started to disappear and you saw the bag tax and uh, loads of other things. Government invested loads of money into more recycling infrastructure and TFM benefited from that. We got some investment um, into overseas waste management projects as well. Um, and we've been able to put pressure on big corporations. So we've been lobbying Coca-Cola and Nestle, Unilever and PepsiCo to ask them to do more to reduce how much plastic they make and sell in developing countries. And all of that happened because we started talking about it as society. We said, actually, this now matters to us. Um, and we're having these conversations and we're, we're being vocal about the fact that this needs to change. And government and businesses are constantly temperature checking, temperature checking society because they rely on us. We are their customers. We are their shareholders. We are their voters. We are their constituents. And they're really conscious of what we are feeling about what they're doing. Um, and as a result, we see change. So I think our daily actions can contribute to huge change. Um, and we need to be just talking about it and learning this stuff together of saying, how can I do this more to glorify God? And who can I encourage to come on the journey with me? Mm, I love that. Um, I've got two more questions for you guys um, and then we'll we'll call time on this one um but the first one is for for all of you so jack caitlin and kath and even james if you've got one um but just i'd love to hear if there's any one of my favorite things about following um ijm and tear fund um on instagram and particularly ijm is you see these stories of hope of x amount of people have been rescued from this situation or all of that and we just heard from kath about the dominican republic are there any other stories of hope or things that you're excited about that's going on in politics at the moment um that people don't know about or that people could get involved with um is there anything buzzing going on at the moment I mentioned it in my talk, so I'm happy to share it again, um, that for the last few years, we've been lobbying the government about the literal billions of pounds they use to support fossil fuel projects overseas. So huge gas or coal or oil projects in developing countries where they could be supporting people to build solar panels and to help local communities have really cheap, affordable local energy. And instead, they've been investing billions into like huge fossil fuel infrastructure which we've already talked about damaging the environment as well as the climate and everything else. Um, and we've been campaigning about that for ages. People have been signing uh, petitions and praying with us, writing to their MPs about that. And towards the end of the last year, it felt like we were about to win this campaign, that we were gonna see a public announcement about it. 
and it stalled at number 10, didn't seem to be going anywhere else after that. And we were talking with Friends of the Earth and other organizations who were campaigning on this with us and saying, um, are we gonna be campaigning about this for another year or for much longer, this just isn't shifting. And we started praying um, at Tear Fund and we invited loads of people who support Tear Fund to pray with us as well. And within a week, we heard that the conversation had started again. For some reason, they were, they were reconsidering this policy change. And within a few weeks, we saw an amazing thing happen in that Boris Johnson announced in public that the UK would stop uh, supporting fossil fuel projects overseas and that we'd be the first major economy to commit to doing that. And I think as of tomorrow, in terms of when we're recording, um, so by the time you listen to this, it will have happened. The government will have stopped supporting fossil fuel projects overseas, um, which means we'll be able to spend so much more supporting small solar or hydro projects and helping people to access cheap and reliable and clean power sources and uh, quit our addiction to fossil fuels. What we need now is to see that happen in the UK, but it's an amazing example of change happening because loads of people have spoken up and then right at the final hurdle, we saw God's hands all over it, um, answering our prayers and, and seeing that change happen. So exciting. Um, yeah, and I think it's so easy, isn't it, to get overwhelmed by all that needs to change because so much does need to change. But it's really important to also focus on stories like that because um, there are so many stories of hope. And um, at IGM, we pray um, every day for half an hour as a staff team. And every day we were just reflecting um, at lunchtime today that every day we see answers to prayer in terms of what we're praying for um, all around the world. And so such a key part of this as Christians and part of the way we can bring hope is through prayer you know we really can change things when we pray um, and come together as a community in prayer and um, yeah we were just again reflecting earlier that this year despite the fact that it's been so tough in COVID times and there have been so many extra challenges we've also seen incredible breakthroughs and um, actually this year we saw over um, so it was 8,600 people freed from slavery all over the world wow. so like 8,600 that was just through IJM and of course there are loads of other organizations working on this issue that is a huge number of people and that's during COVID times when there have been massive restrictions and then we've also seen child marriage bans in the Dominican Republic we've seen in India um yeah, the government's heart really softened to trying to bring an end to bonded labour um, and banning it in two states, um, which is a massive turnaround for that government who previously turned a blind eye to this stuff. Um, we saw our 100th conviction in the Philippines of online sexual exploitation of children, where 10 years ago there had been none. So nobody has ever been convicted of this only 10 years ago. And now we've seen 100. So it's really important to kind of hold on to the fact that change is happening. And God is really strengthening our hand in this area as we pray and as we act. Um, so, yeah, so I think there's, there's loads to kind of get excited about. And in terms of an issue that people could kind of act on if they wanted to get engaged politically, um, 
in the UK. Um, I mentioned online sexual exploitation of children, which is a big issue that we work on in the Philippines. And we're at the moment campaigning um, and yeah, just really sort of talking to the government about the issue of um, just increasing the sentencing for perpetrators of this crime in the UK. So if you get caught as a perpetrator in the Philippines, you can get around 14 years for the crime. Whereas if you get caught in the UK, guess how many years you get? I don't think I wanna know. <laughs> you get two years oh. roughly over in the UK. And so, of course, many of the perpetrators of this crime, because it's an online thing, um, are in places like the UK. And until the sentencing is increased in places like the UK, Germany, the US, et cetera, people will just carry on doing it because they can get away with it. And, and of course, the victims of this crime are in places like the Philippines. It's one of the biggest source areas for that particular issue. Um, so it's where people are poor and vulnerable and they're easy to exploit. Mm. So yeah, more information on the IJM website um, so you can write to your local MP on that. Thank you. Slightly, slightly differently, um, the Hong Kong Ready Churches Initiative that's happening at the moment, um, led by Chris Kandaya. Um, this is... Hong Kong nationals who hold British national overseas passports um, who a lot of people have been put under a lot of pressure recently in Hong Kong from China, China trying to strengthen its grip um, over Hong Kong, trying to recede some of the um, influence that, that the British um, government has had over a number of years. Um, and so a lot of people are moving from Hong Kong over to the UK on these passports. Um, and so there's this movement of people who are trying to get ready for all of these people, trying to get these churches ready um, to welcome people in um, so that they have a safe place to come to. So they're not coming as refugees, but they're coming just as a movement of people who are seeking a place to, um, to feel kind of more liberty and freedom. Um, and I was hearing on the radio today, they reckon there could be up to 5 million people who could be eligible to be able to move. Now, I'm certain that they wouldn't all come because um, that would be, you know, sort of a 12th of our whole population. Um, but the fact that the church is getting ready and gearing up for these sorts of things, it just shows that we're we're learning how to be more hospitable and to be preemptive with that and to not just be reactive. So I think that's a really great initiative and I'm really uh, hopeful for that which is great. Awesome. Okay, guys, thank you so much for um, coming on and chatting about all of that stuff. It's so great to um, just hear all your voices about all of that. It's really inspiring. And I hope um, as a result of this, people can go away and make some changes and maybe take those plastic banana wraps to the supermarket or um, a local farm or wherever, or um, get plugged in with IJM on Instagram or TIFF. And if, um, so just as a last thing, um, we're gonna send people out on this, um, super short, super quick, um, top three tips um, for people wanting to engage with all of this stuff at the moment, so go. Mine would be um, read your local news. So one thing I've done since moving to Worcester is I've subscribed to the Worcester News newspaper, uh, which might not be the traditional 
like when Jack signed me up, it, he had to, it, the advert said, would you like to sign up your grandma? And I was like, no, I'm just a regular 20 something and I'd like to read the newspaper. But um, getting the newspaper through the door and actually being able to engage in what's happening in my city is um, opened my eyes to a lot of things I didn't realize were around me before in relation to issues of injustice, but also what people are already doing um, and what churches are doing and what the church could be involved with. So my top tip would be to, yeah, see what local things you can get involved with and read your local news. I would say, you said three top things. Um, I would say, think about what the next thing we can do is to live more justly and sustainably. So if you're already doing some things, how can you push it further and learn something else um, as part of your consumption? Maybe that's giving something up or swapping something or uh, doing something differently, but think what's your next challenge and then keeping that pattern up for the long haul of always asking, God, what can I be doing more to worship you in the way I consume? And I would say, uh, believe that your voice is impactful. It is worth having that conversation. It is worth bringing it up when we finally meet up with friends again and of saying over lockdown, I've been learning about this, that or the other and of having conversations about this with each other. And I would say um, on that theme, write to your MP or sign petitions and add your voice to this stuff because it really does make a difference. When Tear Fund are lobbying Coca-Cola, Tear Fund is a like, big organisation working in a lot of places. Compared to Coca-Cola, we're pretty insignificant. But with like thousands of Christians who've taken the time to add their name to a petition or send a message in a Coke bottle back to their headquarters, that really adds weight to what we're asking them to do and taking the time to sign a petition or something like that makes a huge difference even if you don't quite notice it at the time there will be stories of real change because you took took the time to use your voice and believe it was powerful and i would say um three things pray give and act so i would say first of all pray um pray for this stuff and commit to praying because it makes a difference and um, yeah and as you pray over time you really do see answers to prayer as you come together in community. Um, give, secondly um, decide on an, a charity and organisation that you can give some of your money to who are acting on this so um, I love talking to Jack and Caitlin because I learned so much about this issue and I love the fact that we're giving money to tier funds and that they're acting sort of on our behalf that doesn't mean that I don't have to act but it means that they can do way more than I'm going to be able to do in my life um, same for IJM same for many other organizations and then the third one is act um, and start small and then keep going up that ladder of action brilliant well thank you so much guys thanks so much for tuning in um for those people who have been listening along and um great i hope you enjoyed our module on materialism make sure to tune in um in the following weeks where we'll be exploring um a whole different topic i'm going to leave it a mystery for you to find out when you tune in but thanks so much again see you later Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope God blessed you through that conversation. And a particular thank you to our guests who gave their time and wisdom to make it happen. If you have been affected by anything that has been talked about during this episode, 
please know that pastoral support is available through our website. Subscribe and follow our podcast to receive all of our updates. But most importantly, we pray you have a great week.